I'm Reverend Jonathan Coleman, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills, and I want to welcome you. It's good to be with you. This is the first Sunday of Lent. We began this Lenten journey celebrating Ash Wednesday. Pastor Linda gave us a wonderful message, called us to repentance, to come back to God and begin this holy journey as we make our way to Easter Sunday together. In this Lenten series, we'll be focusing on surrendering. We will unpack what Jesus says to us and what it means to our day-to-day lives. Our goal is that through this teaching, all who hear it will be encouraged to move deeper. Deeper with the Lord by embracing a way of repentance and on into surrender. A way to think of repentance is that is to realign, realignment of one's life with what matters most. It is breaking away from preparing for and running toward our good Lord and all that is spiritual in Him and holiness. It is that way of letting go of our plans. <laughs> Letting God have his way in every aspect of our lives and allowing him to guide our steps and direct our decisions. In the world, surrender means defeat. Especially we think of surrender, we think of the war that is raging in Ukraine right now and the Russians wanting the Ukrainians to surrender. I am inspired by their courage as they face tyranny. But in the spiritual life, Surrendering fully to God is victory for us. Every occasion where God calls for surrender, it's an invitation to move forward in our spiritual walk. And when we resist these opportunities, we fall back spiritually. Surrender is a pathway to spiritual purpose and power through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Surrender is a good thing for us. Especially when we put aside ourselves and we choose a way of love in our lives. For example, the other night I had a choice placed before me. Surrender or not, Jonathan. My wife and I were eating dinner and I began looking at my cell phone. And I did that for a while. She looked at me. She gave me that look. (laughs) She gave it to me. And I know that look. And now I clearly remember, vividly remember, do I ignore her and I keep looking at my cell phone or do I be present to my lovely wife and enjoy dinner with her? Folks, you got to pat me on the back and give me a big attaboy. I took that phone, I put it upside down and I put it over here and I enjoyed dinner with my wife. Thank you. I didn't expect an applause for that. But I surrendered my will and sought a better way. A way of enriching my marriage and enjoying Kim. It was a fantastic dinner. You see, in this series, we're looking at how God teaches us to surrender through the actions and words and dynamic ministry of Jesus Christ and the humble ministry of Jesus Christ. And we see it in a powerful way in John chapter 13 through 16. My prayer is that you would choose a way to surrender and allow God's 
profound love to guide your thoughts, words, and actions in the coming weeks and on in to the rest of your life. Let's dig in. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, it says this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Folks, Jesus is about to give his life. This was an incredible, incredibly difficult week for him. On Monday, he cleansed the temple. He turned the tables of the money changers over. On Tuesday, he had a massive argument with the religious leaders as they tried to trap him. On Wednesday, we have no idea what happened. And then it's Thursday night. He's gathered in the upper room with his closest friends. And he's ready to give his final words to those who are with him before he goes to the cross. He's going to share bread and wine with them, his body and blood, and commission out communion. He knows one of his disciples is going to betray him. The very next day, he knows he's going to be beaten, betrayed, tortured, hung on the cross to die. And imagine the pain and anguish he must have felt. And he's having dinner with his disciples. And it should have been the best hope of human support that he had during his difficult time. But it wasn't because they were acting like two-year-olds. According to Luke's gospel, a fight breaks out, an argument among the disciples. One of them says, I wonder who's the greatest in here. Another one says, well, it's probably me. And all of a sudden, there's this dispute. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what they said, but we think we get a pretty good idea by their actions and their puffed-up chests. Maybe Peter was pulling one upmanship. He says, guys, I'm the greatest. I walked on water. Maybe John dressed him down a little bit and said, yeah, I saw you walk on water, but then I also saw you sink on that water and cry out to Jesus. And then John's saying, I'm the greatest because he calls me the beloved one. You can read about that in my new book that's coming out. And then Bartholomew chimes in, no, I'm the greatest. And they're like, Bartholomew, don't even say a word with a name like Bartholomew. It's ridiculous, and I'm pretty sure it went on and on and on. And imagine being Jesus. You've invested yourself for three years in the life of each individual disciple. And you're trying to give them your final words of wisdom and encouragement. And these are key moments in your life. But they're trying to one-upmanship each other. And the irony is so thick, you can cut it with a knife. Jesus has already told them what it means to be greatest. He's already said that in Matthew 23, 11. He said, the greatest among you must be a servant. Matthew 20, 28 says, even, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his ransom, his life as a ransom for many. So this new concept, it's, it, it, it's not, to the disciples, it's, it's not, it seems clueless. They seem clueless. They've been with Jesus for three years. They've seen his miracles. They've seen the, his teaching that fell on their lives like the breaking of a new dawn, but they still don't get it. 
And it is ironic. The greatest human being who ever walked the earth is trying to teach these guys who are arguing over who's the greatest. I think about what would I have done if I was Jesus. If it were me, I would have lost it at that point. I'm not proud to say that, but I would have. I'd be sitting there listening to their arguing, and I'd be thinking about the cross and how these guys who'll never, who will carry on the ministry after I'm gone, and I would be like, geez, you've got to be kidding me, and I'd want to stand up and yell, are you kidding me right now, guys? If you learn nothing over the past three years, you want to know who the best disciple is? It's none of you. You all get an F. You're all so terrible that you all get 12th place. I guess it's a real good thing that I wasn't Jesus. And I'm not Jesus, right? Instead, Jesus looks around the room and he sees proud hearts. But he also sees dirty feet. Now this is interesting. It's easy for us Americans to miss the significance of the disciples' dirty feet. Part of the reason is we have that painting by Da Vinci of the Last Supper. You know that painting. World famous, but worth, worth priceless. No offense to Mr. Da Vinci. It's a beautiful painting, but it's terribly inaccurate. First, folks, first of all, they're sitting on one side of the table, and it looks like they're taking a bad selfie of each other. And then they're all too Anglo-Saxon. They're too rich. Most of them are old. The room is probably too fancy. And they're sitting at the table like Westerners do. Here's a more accurate picture. I don't know about you. But the way that we should picture this. Is that they were down maybe like this. (laughs) Like this. Feet right there. Table right there. And you think about that. They're around this table. And they're sitting like that. Imagine that for a second. How close your feet are to the table. (laughs) I don't know about you. But I wouldn't want my buddy's feet. Because his feet would be right there. I wouldn't want those feet that close to my food. (laughs) But the feet. You think about those feet too. They're caked with stuff. They're sweaty. They're dusty. And they've been walking on paths that have been used by animals. You know, just just think about that for a second. You can do the math, right? Oh my gosh. They didn't ride in cars, shower every day, not much pavement around. You know, at that time, there would be a person standing next to the door waiting for them to recline before they even had any type of food in front of them. There would be a slave, the lowest one, getting down and washing and scrubbing feet. The host would not be doing it. Socially, that was below the host. It would be done by a servant. But Jesus is at his final meal. And when it comes to his ministry and them experiencing the capacity and the context of love in his ministry, he's trying to get them to get it. The night before he gives his life, he looks around the room and yes, he sees those proud hearts and he sees those dirty feet. And so what does he do? 
It says in John 13, 4 through 5, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, took it off, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus dresses down like a servant. He gets the water basin. He starts cleaning those feet. They're gasping. (gasps) What? No, 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 no. You're our leader. You can't be doing this. You're the son of God. You're the prince of peace. You're the living water. You're the bread of life. You're our redeemer, the righteous one, the light of the world, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the king of kings, the lord of lords. No way. But he stoops down and he does it. That which is reserved for the lowest in society. Now as all this happened, there was protest. And we know the one who protested. John 13, beginning with verse 6. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Jesus, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Are you going to wash my feet? <laughs> Jesus replied, you don't understand what I am doing, but someday you will. No. Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Exclamation point. Peter was so uncomfortable. Why? No doubt his feet had been washed by servants in the past. Countless times, probably. But there's something very concerning about your leader serving you. And Peter could not hold it in. He can hardly take it. You see, you've got to remember, Peter was the one who called Jesus the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Remember that? Peter absolutely did not want to see Jesus stoop that low, but Jesus wouldn't have it. Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me. You can't be a part of the mission if you don't let me show you and give you a context for the mission of my profound love and humility. Jesus is teaching them that greatness happens in surrender. He's teaching them profound love. He's also teaching them, I believe, that that they're not spiritual consumers. We're not spiritual consumers. We're spiritual contributors. I think many people who followed Jesus was to maybe see what he could do for them. Will there be another feeding? (laughs) What's he going to change that water into wine again? Yeah. And I think many Christians approach the church as a consumer. They better have coffee. I need some coffee. Not lukewarm stuff. I want Seattle's best. That's what we serve over there, by the way. I know. (laughs) And then I hear, well, I'm not being fed at church. Or the music was just okay. It's too loud. Or it's too cold in here. You get what I'm talking about? (laughs) Your music was outstanding. (laughs) They're looking at me like, what? (laughs) What? Alan Hirsch writes this. 
He says a large percent of people who come to church are passive and therefore in consumptive mode. In other words, they're consumers. They are passive recipients of religious goods and services being delivered by professionals in slick presentations and service. And it becomes a one-shop stopping. You see, folks, Jesus taught us to engage God. Engage God with all of who we are. To give our lives as spiritual contributors where our lives make a difference. Where we worship, we give it our all to glorify Him. Where we contribute to the worship service with our eyes focused on God. When Jesus washed everyone's feet, He was sending a message of contributing to a further way of love as a spiritual contributor in this world. You know, the church doesn't exist for us. We are the church. We exist for the world. We are the church. The mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Stop looking for the church to meet your needs. We are the church. We meet the needs of the worlds around us. The world around us. If this is your church... This is where you worship, this is where you grow, and if you're not using your gifts, guess what? You're selling yourself short because the Apostle Paul says that we have many gifts that make up the body of Christ together, and that's organic, and that's serving, that's washing feet. We all have gifts, and we need each other in mission because this world needs Jesus Christ. And the living Christ coming outward from us as spiritual contributors. Next, Jesus was sending a message of when you serve others, God changes lives beginning with yours. What if you woke up every day and said, God, how can I serve you today? How can I show your love? Who is rejected that I can love on? What task is being neglected that I can do for your kingdom what if you approached your job that way your boss would be blown away you're the kind of employee that walks past a a piece of paper in uh, in the trash without picking it up or are you always saying well that's not my job that's not my job at all Jesus is saying you know why you exist you exist for the benefit of others that's greatness He came into this world to serve, not to be served. And let that be our standard. It's not about entitlement. What if you treated your spouse that way? Or your best friend that way? Or your neighbor that way? If you treated your spouse that way, it will change your marriage, guaranteed. Serve her, serve him. Stop worrying so much about if the relationship is balanced. Stop keeping score. How ridiculous. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to love your spouse just as Jesus loved the church and to submit and surrender to one another. And if we actually treated our spouses that way, the divorce rate would plummet dramatically. And you'll find that life is so much more fulfilling in your relationship when you serve and wash each other's feet. John 13, 12 through 15 says, after, the washing, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and asked, do you understand what I am doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right because that's what I am. 
And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. You know that night when they all should, uh, all the disciples arrived? They should have broken up into pairs. If they really got it, they should have broken up into pairs and washed each other's feet, cleaning each other's feet, and then started prepping the food. They should have served each other. And I think their lives would have been changed in some way. You see, when we serve others, God changes our life. And it begins with you. And what do you get? You get the thrill of being utilized by God. And you find out that serving is not just what I do. Serving is who I am. Folks, we are living sacrifices given over to the world. Loving people on behalf of Christ. You know, I have the thrill of being used by God in so many ways. And I know you, when you experience the thrill of being utilized by God in so many ways, doesn't that just just make you feel amazing part of God's kingdom? You know, when you go to bed at the end of the day and you look back and say, you know what, God, you used me today. That was a good day. You invest your life in others and you'll feel great. You'll be great in the kingdom of God as one who is a servant. And it'll change those around you. You want to change your marriage? Surrender. Start serving your spouse. You want to change your friendships? Surrender. Serve your friends. You want to change your community? Surrender. Serve your community. You want to change your relationship with God? Surrender and allow God to have his way. And you'll see your life change. Serve other people because when you serve others, God changes life. And the first life he changes is yours. Jesus is the king of kings. He could have had everybody serve him. He could have put on these fabulous display of his power. But now his display of power was becoming humble. He came and he served I would like for, uh, Bruce, will you come up? He took off his outer robe. Put it aside. As if he was emptying himself of everything but humility and profound love. And then he knelt down to every disciple And he took the basin and the water. And he washed those feet. We don't know what he said. I like to think he'd say, Bruce, I love you so profoundly. Thank you for being so faithful my kingdom and washing the feet of people throughout this area, this world. Thank you, sir, for serving and being my instrument at Anderson Hills and blessing all that you encounter.
to make sure you don't slip and fall, buddy. Hey, I got to give you a hug, Papa. Will you join me in prayer? We thank you, Lord Jesus, for showing us your profound love, for showing us what it truly means to be great. You desire for us to wash feet in this world, to show others you and your profound ministry. Thank you, God, for giving us an example. As we turn our hearts and our minds and our souls to holy communion, God, we pray that we would see in another way, in another reality, the context of your profound love. You're so faithful. And we give thanks for your ministry. And we fall at your feet, worshiping and adoring your greatness, which is found as we see how you emptied yourself of all but love and humility and laid down your life for our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.